Welcome to Pink Door Culture Club, your eclectic entertainment guide. My name is Jeremiah Burns, and this is the third episode of season one. If you like it, please like, subscribe, share, review, and all of that good stuff. You can be in touch with me via the Facebook page, or you can email me at pinkdoorcultureclub at gmail.com. This week, we're looking at a multiverse film but not one that involves Spider-Man or Doctor Strange or anyone from Marvel. It's a film that just won two Golden Globe Awards and has received 11 Academy Award nominations, the most of any film for the upcoming awards ceremony. Overall, it comes in at 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, 8 on IMDb, and currently sits at 4.4 on Letterboxd, where it briefly held the top position of all films ever, even above The Godfather and Parasite. This is a film that I sat in the cinema and watched by myself and loved it so much that I returned within a week with some other people to show them. And I'm not talking about the Puss in Boots sequel, although I have heard that is amazing. The movie is everything, everywhere, all at once. The first segment of Pink Door Culture Club is called Spellbound, where we think about what makes this film so interesting and engaging. And I think the first thing is genre. Last week we talked about Janelle Monet as a musician who really kind of defied defied genre. She she really kind of ranged across so many different types of music. And this week I mean, that's true of this movie. You know, this Everything Everywhere All at Once is is a comedy. It's a science fiction movie. It's an action movie. You could you could go more specific than that and say it's a kung fu movie. It's a romance. It's a drama. You know, I, I wondered, could you say it's a thriller movie or a horror movie? And I thought probably not. But there are moments where... Jamie Lee Curtis and her character of Deidre and all the sort of zombie characters are coming at the main character. So there is, there are even thriller and horror elements to it. Um, and I think within those genres, the absurdity of the humour in this film is is great. The entire Sausage Fingers alternative universe, the, the Kung Fu universe where people have extremely strong little fingers, the Rakakuni universe, which becomes more and more... <laughs> bizarre and involved uh, and of course the rock universe um, and then you know the versatility of the cast across all of those genres is incredible so I reckon genre is one of the things that makes this a great film a second thing is the is the visual effects you know when they're fracturing when they're showing the kind of fracturing of space time and you see sort of moments where You've got that single person split across, say, three or four different times, um, three, three or four different places in time, um, and and of course, most of all, the bursts of of sort of sequences and images that show the movement through endless worlds, kind of kind of overwhelming. Like how many images you're shown in in like a burst of ten seconds. I was talking with someone about this, and they were saying it's it's like. It's like the ultimate TikTok experience, just short, sharp, intense visual bursts. And I think what's also great about the visual effects is that they're in service of a compelling story rather than trying to be big for the sake of it. 
Um, you know, it's not just like a, a bigger monster, a bigger enemy just to try and wow you for that sake. You know, this is a movie that was made on $25 million. Some some reckon less than that, maybe $15 million. Five to 10 people working on the visual effects for this film, which is incredible when you, when you watch it and see how good they are, versus something like $200 million for the sequel of Doctor Strange. Um, and when when their visual effects are in, in service of the story, then they're, they're just really compelling and interesting and engaging, um, despite the fact that they're done on such a lean budget. And the third thing I think that's really good about the film is the structure. You know, there are sort of several acts or, or chapters to the film that are clearly signposted. And throughout the film, you're following this kind of single arc you know, of of a character or a family, but you're just shifting constantly between many worlds. And sometimes you're getting sort of little fleeting moments um, of, of those worlds and other times it's far more extended and they're really expecting you to follow that thread as they move between those worlds and show the same character doing similar or very different things in, in different worlds, but there's a there's a, usually a theme that's holding it together of rescuing someone or reconciling with someone or whatever it might be. But the structure is really interesting in in how it's chunked up, but also expecting you to move with it um, as you follow the arc. And you get some breathers along along the way as well. Like the rock scene is a breather from all of the explosive energy that's come before, or the doll scene. So there's some nice moments in the structure where you get a break as well. The second segment of Pink Door Culture Club is called Rear Window, and the idea is to look more closely and think more deeply about the meaning of the film. One big idea in the film, a big focus or theme, I guess, is the power and responsibility of parents the way that the mistakes of, of one generation can be passed to the next in terms of parenting. In this case, you know, it's parenting where you are providing, but you're not being warm. You're, you're misunderstanding your child. And, and apparently, not that I would know, but apparently that's reflected in the different languages that are used in the film in the way that people address each other in those languages. They're sort of dis- disconnected, misunderstanding each other. Uh, and, and, I mean, this film is saying that that misunderstanding, that can lead to intense grief and sort of acting out in, in rage. You know, in this movie, the whole universe is shaped by people trying to get the attention and the acceptance of, of their parents. It's an interesting idea to be captured on film in a science fiction setting that the whole world can be reshaped by that. And I guess there's an interesting question, again, not that I would know, of of whether there's something particularly intense or special about the mother-daughter relationship um, that's being reflected here. A second thing that makes this film interesting, I think, is the way it explores the pain of marriage. It's, It's able to depict really well the resentment that can set in in a relationship, a long-term relationship, that sense of, you know, my life could have been so much better if only I wasn't held back by you, if only 
I wasn't linked to you and had to deal with you and all of your issues, the sort of loss of appreciation that corrodes things. I rewatched Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind recently, and that's another movie that does a great job of showing how at the beginning of a relationship things are fresh and interesting and enjoyable and you're seeing the best in each other and, and things can really degrade from there and you can end up bitter and forgetting all the great things that you appreciated about the person and that nurtured the relationship. But the film, this film also shows that the alternative is not necessarily better because in the alternative universe where Evelyn is a movie star and, and Waymond is a, a CEO, they're, they're not happy in that world either. They're not, they're not able to find peace there. They're, they're rich, they're successful, but they're actually lonely. So there's an interesting comment there on wanting something to be different and yet realising it's not it's not necessarily going to be better. You, that, that person, that alternative, is going to have its own issues. It's an illusion that, that it won't. A, a third interesting idea, I think, from this film is the benefits and limits of choice. And, you know, the, the, the multiverse as a metaphor for choice and how it's exciting to travel and dress and succeed and behave however you want to be whatever version of yourself you want to be with no regard for anyone else, like complete amorality. And there is a thrill to that, like a completely exciting thrill to that. But ultimately, a sadness that comes from endless choice centered on the self. There is a sort of depression and a loneliness and, 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 and a rage again that comes from that. And I think that's something we know individually that, you know, when we're in a kind of self-centered spiral, that's not fulfilling. And we know as a society as well that wealthy individualistic societies are still plagued, if not more plagued, by depression and loneliness. It hasn't solved, choice hasn't solved things necessarily, or endless choice doesn't bring more happiness. At some point, choice is not returning more happiness. And then I guess the big one of the big ideas in the film and one of the big interesting concepts to explore is love as an existential choice rather than something eternal or transcendent. So in in the universe of this movie there is no real meaning to the world, you know, at, on the other side is just blackness, nothingness. You know, it's nihilistic in that way that the, there's the bagel, there's the black hole, of the universe and that's what's really there but we can choose to make meaning by choosing to love and meaning is found in remaining located in the now and dealing with the mess of the now so rather than going off and pursuing something else and choosing another alternative self or a different partner it's actually about listening it's about reappreciating those around you it's about forgiveness and reconciliation and i think there's an interesting contrast there from the kind of you do you culture which says just go and do whatever you want and don't think about it like this movie saying no that actually doesn't really work like you should stay put you should pay attention to what's going on you should remain in the now and deal with it and be reconciled now but but in the end this movie i think is saying it's not ultimately or eternally better or right but it does make our 
temporary existence more bearable and and maybe more meaningful in some temporary way. And I think in some ways that's a really bold view of humanity, that existentialist view. You know, we there is no meaning, so we are the meaning makers. It's up to us. Each of us is responsible for creating the story that we want. So let's make it one that feels good. Let's let's make it one that's enjoyable given that we're only here temporarily. I guess where that, that falls down is that it is it is only temporary. Everyone meets the same fate in the end. So the problem of meaning is not ultimately resolved. An alternative would be to say that, you know, that instinct that we have about the power of love and the need for reconciliation and even the desire for a parent is grounded in something or someone outside of this world. It's, it's not just that we make it up, but we sense it and we crave it and it's objectively good and beautiful because there is some sort of God who has woven that into the world. The final segment of Pink Door Culture Club is called The Man Who Knew Too Much, where I just list list off some of the other interesting things that, that I discovered when I was preparing for this episode. Something interesting about this film is that it took 38 days to film, just 38 days. So there you go. You could take some long service leave and make a film. Uh, And uh, I I mentioned before that there were just five to ten visual effects people, and the way they learnt how to do the visual effects was through online tutorials. (laughs) So they didn't go to some special you know, school or or film school or anything to learn how to do that. They just used free online tutorials. So again, if you've got some spare time, you can learn how to do that yourself. You don't need a special qualification. I think both of those things are incredible. Like the budget being somewhere between 15 and $25 million, filming taking less than 40 days, a very small team of people creating such amazing visual effects um, and learning all of that online, like that, that is an incredible achievement. Having said all of that, an interesting fact is that the movie was originally 30 minutes longer um, than what you see in the end. It featured in an entirely additional universe and they were going to try and resolve everyone's story, but they kind of realised in the end you don't need to see the end of everyone's story. This is really focused on on Evelyn and and Joy and, and Waymond, and we just need to see how the key relationships uh, wrap up. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis claims that being punched by Michelle Yeoh was a dream of hers, and, and apparently she, when they did that fight scene uh, on day one where she was being punched, she was eager to do several takes of those of those scenes. <laughs> and a final final point about this movie is that apparently the sausage fingers scene was just meant to be like a completely throwaway gag which got obviously completely out of control as they wrote it and shows you that even some crazy stupid throwaway gags can end up being um, much more than what was intended okay so we're at the end of this episode of pink door culture club remember i'm going to publish publish the season's recommendations of ahead of time so you can follow along you'll find those at pinkdoorcultureclub.com or on the Pink Door Culture Club Facebook page. 
You can be in touch with me via the Facebook page or you can email me at pinkdoorcultureclub at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.